So those of you who um, weren't here with us last year, um, we started, not this fiscal year, but last fiscal year, we started with a $70,000 deficit. And we reduced some spending, but mostly we saw increased giving so that we ended the year in the black. And so that's part of why we wanted to thank this group. And we want to thank the, the family here. Together, um, I think we, are, we have learned and are learning how to be more and more generous. And um, generosity blesses everybody in our lives. All right, for those of you who are also um, new this fall um, and have been bugging me um, because you're not sure that I'm really married, um, my first wife has come back. Um, Marla, stand up. <laughs> Marla's back, yay! It was hard for her to leave the grandkids and come and just kind of have to love on me. Um, but um, as I said last week, if you've never met Marla before, come and say hi. She's the nice one of the two of us, all right? So come in and say hi to Marla. All right. She hates it when I embarrass her that way. Um, there's so, oh, I, I won't. <laughs> there's so many things I want to tell you about her, and at some point I'll figure out how to get it into a sermon <laughs> illustration. All right. Uh, so far in this Tangible Kingdom series, um, we've looked at what is mission, what is incarnation, what is gospel, and what is community. The second half of this unified theme, we're going to put feet on all of that. Built on the foundation of what we've explored up till now, we're going to try to figure out what does it mean for our lives to reflect the truths about what is mission, what is incarnation, what is gospel, and what is community. In this whole aspect of how do we make the kingdom of God something that the people in our lives can see and feel through us. So this week we're going to talk about living out the gospel. We're going to talk about what are, what are we going to do to, to get out and connect with the people in our lives for the sake of the gospel. Next week we're going to talk about inviting people in. How do we invite people into the Christian community, into our community here at Cornerstone and the Christian community in general? Then the seventh week we're going to talk about how do we live uh, better as apprentices of Jesus, watching what Jesus does with people and then trying to, to interact with people the way that Jesus does. And then in our last week of the, the series, um, Hugh Halter, who wrote the Tangible Kingdom Primer, is going to be here in Boston. He's going to preach the final sermon, which is about living an intuitive Christian life. What does it mean that the Spirit just kind of works and we naturally live out the gospel with people around us. So, um, Hugh Halter writes in the Tangible Kingdom Primer, living out is where all this that we've been doing up till now, where all this meets the real world. Living out is the natural and deliberate process of living among, listening to, and loving people in culture with the desire to connect them to the Christian community. But, as we learn to live the missional and incarnational way, we are soon faced with challenges to our daily living. As we learn to live out the gospel, we grapple with the bottom line issue of our willingness to take responsibility for our relationships with others and whether we'll let the mission of God dictate the purposes and schedules of our life. Inside the tensions of living out the good news are our own ambitions our faith, our fear, and our frailty. It's great to 
love these concepts of gospel and mission and incarnation and community. But when we say we're actually going to try to live them fully to make the kingdom of God tangible in our generation, that's when it gets kind of tough. So this morning I want to look with you at a case study in the scriptures of someone who God approached and said, I want you to live out the good news in your generation. And he was honest enough to come up with all kinds of excuses. This morning we're going to look at, at Moses in Exodus 3 and 4. When God appears to him and gives him a call to live out the good news in his generation. And we're going to look at all the excuses that he comes up for why he can't possibly do that. And then we're going to find out that Moses' excuses are a whole lot like ours. And we're going to listen to what God says to each excuse to encourage us to live out the gospel. So this is Exodus 3, starting with verse 1, and it's a little bit of a long passage. It ends in, in Exodus 4, 14, and it'll be up there behind me. One day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called out to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, who am I to go appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. Excuse number two. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? What should I tell them about you? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh 
the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Now go and call together all the elders of Israel. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me. He told me I have been watching closely, and I see how the Egyptians are treating you. I have promised to rescue you from your oppression in Egypt. I will lead you to a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where a bunch of unpronounceable names of people live. Excuse number three. Moses protested again. What if they won't believe me? What if they say, the Lord has never appeared to you? Then the Lord asked him, what is that in your hand? A shepherd's staff, Moses replied. Throw it down on the ground, the Lord told him. So Moses threw down the staff, and it turned into a snake, and Moses jumped. This has got to be an understatement, right? Moses jumped back. Then the Lord told him, reach out and grab its tail. So Moses reached out and grabbed it, and it turned back into a shepherd's staff in his hand. Perform this sign, the Lord told him. Then they will believe that the Lord, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, really has appeared to you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out again, his hand was white as snow with a severe skin disease. Now put your hand back into your cloak, the Lord said. So Moses put his hand back in, and when he took it out again, it was as healthy as the rest of his body. The Lord said to Moses, If they do not believe you and are not convinced by the first miraculous sign, then they will be convinced by the second sign. And if they don't believe you or listen to you even after these two signs, then take some water from the Nile River and pour it out on the dry ground. When you do, the water from the Nile will turn into blood on the ground. So you realize two miracles, right? Excuse number four. But Moses pleaded with the Lord. Oh, Lord, I'm not very good with words. Never have been, and I'm not now. Even though you have spoken to me, I get tongue-tied, and my words get tangled. Then the Lord asked Moses, Who makes a person's mouth? Who decides whether people speak or do not speak, hear or do not hear, see or do not see? Is it not I, the Lord? And for the third time, now go, and I will be with you as you speak, and I will instruct you in what to say. Excuse number five. But Moses again pleaded, Lord, please send anyone else. Then the Lord became angry with Moses. All right, he said. What about your brother Aaron the Levite? I know he speaks well, and look, he is on his way to meet you now. The Tangible Kingdom Primer asks a number of questions after and encourages us to read this passage. It asks, do you relate to Moses when you think of living out your own calling? Have you ever felt unqualified to live out the gospel in your generation? What are some excuses you've used with God? And have you ever said to God, please send anybody, anybody else other than you? Halter writes what we already know. He says, despite our desire to be used by God, we often get paralyzed by insecurity. Sometimes it's due to a lack of experience. Other times it's based on our own failures or personal issues of brokenness. 
God is not caught off guard by any of these. It's normal to feel some tension related to living out the good news. Living on mission can be challenging. It isn't always immediately clear what we are supposed to do. Like Abraham, we're called to give blessings in places that are not always very comfortable. And like Moses, we won't always feel up to the task. It's important to remind ourselves that keeping track of the results is not our job. In fact, the only tension we should carry is the tension of our responsibility. In other words, our main concern is to live in such a way that the good news is clearly expressed through our lives. We trust the work of God to do the rest. So, um, so people kind of look at this text and commentators and, and like they write page after page after page about the, the issue or the phenomenon of the burning bush. That doesn't really actually intrigue me very much. What intrigues me even more is what we learn about God when God speaks from the burning bush. Here's what we learn about God. Verse 7, we learn that God sees oppression. God hears cries of distress. And God is aware of suffering. In verse 8, we, we see that God comes down to rescue. God leads people out of slavery into his blessings. And in verse 9, we read that the cries of those who suffer reach God because God is always watching for those who are suffering. So um, what strikes me more than a burning bush is what we learn about the character of God. And I'm pretty sure that when Moses heard that from, from God about how God is always paying attention to injustice and suffering and oppression and, and how God is always coming to rescue, I'm pretty sure that just like us, Moses rejoiced in that. And, and he just, I mean, praise God. I mean, he, he just, just thrilled that that's the kind of God he served. Until God said, and by the way, I'm sending you so that I can do this through you in your generation. And that's when Moses started having all kinds of excuses. We love the character of God who sees oppression and sees suffering and releases people from bondage. But when God says that he wants to to proclaim his mission to our generation through us, just like Moses, we start to have a lot of excuses, don't we? So I want to look at each of the five excuses of Moses with you, and I want to look at, at what God says in response so that we can actually be honest about the fact that we do have our excuses so that we can let the Spirit of God deal with them. So Moses' first excuse to not live out the gospel. In verse 11 of chapter 3, he says, Who am I to go? Who am I to lead um, the Israelites out of Egypt? Who am I to live out the, the good news in my school and in my family and in my workplace and in my neighborhood and in my gym. I am a nobody. I'm not good enough. I'm certainly not spiritual enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not capable enough. I don't know enough to be that guy or that person. I just don't have what it takes to live out the good news. Sound familiar? I just don't have what it takes to live out the good news that God is trying to redeem my generation. And um, I, I just, God has the same response to that constantly throughout the scriptures. Danny saw it in our very first sermon on what is mission. When Jesus said, go and be makers of disciples, 
Jesus said, and by the way, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And that is God's response to Moses when he says, I'm not enough to, to fulfill this responsibility in my life of living out the good news. God says simply, it's not about you. It's not about our inadequacies. It's about who God is. And God promises that if we will go to our generation, God will go with us, which means this. If we really ache to see the powerful presence of God in our generation, then we've got to go out and live out the good news because that's when God's going to show up in us and through us. So the issue is not about us. By the way, college retreat, it's not about you. It's about the God who is sending us. And it doesn't matter if we're not enough because God is enough. So the excuse, I can't go because who am I to go? The missional response, it's not about me. It's about Jesus I will go out and live out the gospel because Jesus is with me. Moses' second excuse to not live out the gospel. Exodus 3.13. I don't know what to tell people about you. Ever feel that? Ever feel like you don't know enough like Bible or theology? You don't know what to tell people about God? Um, didn't go to seminary, right? By the way, going to seminary doesn't make this any easier, okay? Just so you know. Everybody thinks that if they just went to seminary, if you just knew more Bible, then this would be... It doesn't get easier. It is still always a challenge to live out the gospel. And God's response to Moses saying, I don't know what to tell people about you, is it's both incredibly profound and incredibly simple. In this next passage, I'm dissertations and books are written about the meaning of God's name Yahweh when God says, I am who I am. Tell them I am. Yahweh has sent me me to you. And God says, this is the name that I'm supposed to be known for all generation as the one who is, the God who is always present. Dissertations, books, theology, all over that. But then there's another side of it that's incredibly simple. What do we tell people about God? It's in his name. We tell them that God is here. God is present. And he sent me to tell you that he's on a mission to redeem you and to restore everything that's broken. And then to pour out his blessings upon you. That's the message that we're going to people with. God has sent, and and God says that to Moses. Tell them, I am has sent you. So what we do in our generation is throughout our life, we go to people and we say, you know what? God has sent me to you because he wants you to know that he's present and he wants to redeem and restore everything in your life. Now, when we think about that, the next thing that pops into our heads usually is people will think we're nuts if we tell them God has told me to come and talk to you, right? So I was at this luncheon um, on Friday with... um, with uh, a whole group of people, with CEOs, Christian CEOs, talking about living out their Christian faith in the business world. One of the CEOs kept saying, you guys know that what we make up in our heads about what we think people will think when we tell them about God is never the way people are really thinking when we tell them about God. We make up these stories in our heads, and then we stifle up, and we, we, we just stop sharing 
about the good news of Jesus. And then another CEO said, um, recited a study. He said, let me get, it was 75%, just under 74 point something percent of, of non-Christians given a choice would opt to work for a Christian CEO. Almost 75%. Then 20% more, they don't care one way or another when they were surveyed. Only 1 in 14, 5%, a little less than 5%, will actually get angry about the idea of working for an overtly Christian CEO. Why would we let 5% of the people out there who don't know Jesus control whether or not we live out the gospel and go to people saying, God has sent me to you because God's in your life and he wants to redeem you and he wants to call you to a new way of life. So the excuse is this. I don't know what to tell people about God. The missional response is, I will tell people God has sent me to them to tell them the good news that in Jesus there's forgiveness and redemption and fullness of life. So we come to Moses' third excuse for not living out the gospel. It's Exodus 4.1. He says, what if they don't believe me? Ever use that one? You ever kind of hesitated to talk about Jesus with the fear that they won't actually accept it or believe you? And in response to Moses' third um, excuse, God gives Moses those miraculous signs. You know, throw down your snaff, it turns into a snake. Pick it up, it turns back to the snaff. Hand in the jacket, it's got, leper, it's got leprosy. Hand back in, it comes out. And, and I got to tell you that when I first read that, I thought, well, sure. God gives you a miracle, then then it's going to be easy, right? Miracles would just kind of close the case. Of course, I didn't kind of remember that Moses still had more excuses after the miracles. And so I started thinking, and um, I think the Spirit brought to mind, times in the New Testament when people ask Jesus for a miracle. And it's kind of interesting. John 2, um, starting in verse 18, the Jewish leaders demanded of Jesus, what are you doing? If God gave you authority to do this, show us a miraculous sign to prove it. All right, Jesus said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. What, they exclaimed? <coughs> it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you can rebuild it in three days? But when Jesus said this temple, he meant his own body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered he had said this, and they believed both the scriptures and what Jesus had said. The miracle, when asked for a miracle, the miracle Jesus gave was his resurrection from the dead. Luke chapter 11, starting at verse 29. As the crowd pressed in on Jesus, he said, this evil generation keeps asking me to show them a miraculous sign. But the only sign I will give them is the sign of Jonah. What happened to him was a sign to the people of Nineveh that God had sent him. What happens to the Son of Man will be a sign to these people that he was sent by God. And in other Gospels, it's fleshed out a little bit more. You know what happened to Jonah? Three days in the belly of the whale. Came up. Jesus, three days in death. On the third day, he rose from the dead. When asked for a miraculous sign, Jesus said his resurrection was that sign. We have a miracle that is far greater than what Moses had before the burning bush. Moses had a staff and a snake and a hand. The miracle that we have 
is the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Want a miracle to motivate you to live out the gospel in your generation? There is no greater miracle than that Jesus, the very Son of God, died on a cross for people's sins to be forgiven and rose from the dead by the power of God. So the excuse for not living out the good news, what if they don't believe what we say? The missional response for living out the good news, what if they do believe? How might their life be transformed and the world a different place because we had the courage, because of the resurrection of Jesus, to introduce them to God? Moses' fourth excuse for not living out the gospel. It just sounds so much like us. Um, Exodus 4.10. I'm not very good with words, right? Never have been, never will be, not now, not ever. Even though you've spoken to me, God, I get tongue-tied and my words get all tangled up. Case closed, God, I'm sorry. I just can't live out the good news for the people in my life. I'm just not good enough with words. Wow. What could possibly, what could God possibly say in response to that? Like, ah, sorry, Moses, how silly of me. You know, you're right. You can't give a TED Talk, so you, you mess things up. And I don't know what I was thinking. You know, let people stay in their oppression and their suffering. Try to drown out the cries of people who are hurting because, you know, there's got to be somebody else who will go to the people in your life. That line of reasoning ought to fill us with, with just dread to think, because you know what? The problem isn't with our tongues and our words. The problem's with my heart. When I don't want to be inconvenienced by telling people that Jesus actually loves them, and has come to die for them and to live for them. It's not a problem of our words, you guys. And God says the same thing to Moses that Jesus says in the gospel. God says, I will go with you and I will give you the words to speak. They're not our words. Same thing. Jesus says in a number of places. It's in Mark 13, quoted again in Luke and Matthew. Jesus says, on account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must be preached to all nations. And this is the answer God always gives. Whenever you're arrested, Jesus says, and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time. For it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Here's what it comes down to. Open your mouth, and the Spirit will give you what to say. It's not a problem of our tongues. It's a problem of our hearts. So the excuse is, I'm not good enough with words. The missional response is, I will speak about Jesus because I know that the Holy Spirit will give me what to say. And so we come to Moses' fifth and final kind of plea. Not even an excuse, just a plea. Exodus 4.13. Lord, please send anybody else other than me. Thanks for the offer, Father. I know you love the people in my life, but send somebody else to them. Don't send me. Um, and we cannot avoid 
God's response to Moses. We're told God got angry at Moses. There's a point where God just gets so frustrated with our excuses that he gets angry at us as well. So the excuse is, Lord, send anybody else. Send my pastor. Send my small group leader. Send some chaplain. Send whoever. Um, That's the excuse. The missional response, Lord, here I am. Send me. My prayer for us as a as a church cornerstone, is that we will more and more boldly live out the gospel because we keep on saying time and time again to God, Lord, here we are. Here we are. Send us. So, if we, you know, stop already with the excuses, what's that mean? So let me give you some ideas. Some of these are from Tangible Kingdom. Some of them just kind of, And these are just ideas. Because what it comes down to is accepting our responsibility to live out the good news in our lives, in our generation. Tangible kingdom, consider the relationships God has already brought into your life. What are your responsibilities to them? And what happens if you neglect your responsibility to the people who are far from God in your life? How might our faith develop as we allow the mission of God to shape our relationships with others? So Halter suggests four ways we might live out the gospel more in our lives. First one's leaving. Very interesting. Replacing personal or Christian activities with time spent investing in and building relationships with those who don't yet know Jesus. We can't reach the world if we sit here with our Christian friends. We can't make the kingdom tangible if it gets bottled up when we're together as the family of Jesus. Secondly, he says, first one's leaving. Second one, living among. He, being willing to participate in the natural activities of culture with the people in our lives. Going to good parties, concerts, sporting events, volunteering. The reality is we can't live out the good news if we don't connect our lives with the people who are far from Jesus. Third, listening well to people. I like that. Listening well to people. Sensitively responding to conversations in a way that expresses our sincere kind of appreciation and honor of people over a long period of time. And then the fourth one, loving. Blessing people no matter how they respond. Loving them no matter how they might, um, might uh, how, no matter how we might want them to respond, loving them anyway, no matter what. So where do we go from here? This week. We could spend some time with a friend who's having a rough week. Um, We can take our kids to a park or to an activity where there are other parents where we can overlap and build friendships. We can help a neighbor or a coworker with a project or a chore. We can um, use personal interests, something that you already love to do. How might you use that to connect with people who are still far from Jesus? We can do a prayer walk. We can prayer walk around our school or our neighborhood or our workplace and just start interceding for the blessings of God to flow in those places in our lives. We can volunteer to serve in some nonprofit somewhere that's not churchy. We can, can volunteer to do something about some area of injustice in our, um, in our city, in our life. And then it's interesting, we'll find other people who care a lot about the world, but maybe just don't yet know know Jesus. What we can't do is this. We can't remain in our 
self-defined wilderness of private religion and comfortable Christianity. We cannot live out the gospel if we never go out. People will never see Jesus. They'll never see the kingdom of God. And that means in every venue of our lives and in every role in our lives, in our marriages and in our families, in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, at the gym, in our schools, in every place where we show up, we are called of God to live out the kingdom of Jesus. What's interesting to me about Moses is you would think, you know, he flunked, right? He got all five of them wrong. Zero percent for a grade. But here's the interesting thing that I find about this. The only person who knew what happened at the burning bush was Moses. Moses is the guy that wrote this account. Somewhere in his journal, he wrote, oh, this is what I said. You know, I was an idiot, <laughs> okay? What I like is that he was willing to be transparent and honest. He didn't try to pretend or put on some mask or facade. He's willing to be transparent and honest with his excuses. When we, and it does make us feel a little more normal, right? <laughs> when we're willing to be transparent and honest with our excuses and hold them up to the Holy Spirit, he can then deal with our excuses. And you think of what Moses accomplished in his generation. He went to Pharaoh and said, let my people go. The people of Israel were released from slavery. Moses led them for years and years to know more and more of the blessings of God in their generation. How might our generation be different as we have the courage to say, these are my my excuses. Holy Spirit, show me how to deal with them. I am here. Send me. I will go. Let's pray. Father, um, Moses is like the type of Christ, the archetype of Christ in the Old Testament. What Moses was for the people of Israel, Jesus was so much more for everyone caught in the slavery of sin. And Moses was just a pretty normal guy who had a lot of normal excuses for how certainly he couldn't live out your good news in his generation. Let us be like Moses to bring our excuses before you and then to have the courage to go. As you said to him three times, Moses, go. Moses, go. Moses, go. Father, help us be willing to courageously and boldly go into our culture and proclaim the good news that in Jesus you have come to redeem and restore all that has been broken. Here we are. Father, send us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.